Welcome to the Tin Lounge, where travel advisors Corrine and Teresa read you the travel industry news headlines that are currently unread in your inbox, so you can leave here feeling informed. If you're new around here, Tin stands for Travel Industry News, and on today's full episode, we're going to cover some of the biggest stories from this month. I'm Corrine, co-owner of Journey's Travel Company and creator of Travel Biz Boss. And I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fam with Intention. We've got a lot to cover, but before we get started, we wanted to give a shout out to our podcast network, Trav Market Media. Head on over to travmarketmedia.com to find some other fantastic travel podcasts. So we are both super trendy, Obvi, if you've never met us, you guys know we're super trendy, which is why we have multiple trend related articles to discuss this week. I'll do my first one. Um, this one is from Travel Pulse, and the title is Leisure Travel Trends Are Changing Rapidly. This article cites Travel Boom, which is a leading data-driven digital marketing agency. And Travel Boom has just released its 2022 Leisure Travel Trends Study Report, having pulled more than 2,000 travelers this year amid exhaustive research on the subject. So they took their uh, survey that they took this year and they compared it with responses from com- a combined 90,000 participants in earlier studies. And they are trying to compare what they're seeing. Obviously, the numbers are not the same, but it's still helpful information for us to know what the trends are for leisure travelers. Absolutely. But the last time I think they did this study, it says it was in 2019. So a lot has happened since 2019. I don't know if you know. Um, I'm a different person. I don't know about you. (laughs) Pete DeMeo, COO of Travel Boom, he says, our annual leisure travel trend study allows us to better understand the consumer mindset and purchase journey so that we can adapt our marketing strategies to a greater impact. So here are some key insights. High costs are impacting vacation plans. That's not a surprise for anybody. Yeah. It says here over one third of respondents said they may have to cancel existing vacation plans because of budget concerns. 56% said that high gas prices are moderately or significantly um, impacting their travel decisions. The main pain points that prevented respondents from booking trips in the first place were budget concerns at 53%, transportation costs at 48%, and lodging costs at 45%. So... I feel like some of this might be maybe domestic travel related, but we all know that transportation costs as it relates to flights have also been really impactful. Yeah. Um, Next is travelers are conducting more online research than ever before. They're doing more deep dives online and investigating their options more thoroughly. The average traveler visits 5.5 websites over the course of their vacation planning and booking process, which will typically include a search engine, meta engine, so like Facebook or Instagram, OTA, review site, and the hotel website itself. As a travel advisor, and I see the stat, I would try to use this in a social media post or story. Like, did you know the average traveler visits 5.5 websites over the course of their vacation planning and booking process? And then talk about how you save them the time and headache. Just How many hours must people be spending? And then even when they spend all that time, there's no way they're feeling absolutely sure of themselves, right? Because there's so much, it's like, trying to get a drink of water out of a fire hose. There's so much information. (laughs) (laughs) For me, when I think about that, and it's hard now because of the experience that I have, the uncertainty alone would be enough for me to just want to go to an expert and be like, as long as I felt like I trusted that person. And I think um, I, as soon as you were saying the stats, I was like, I'd be using this in social media and then finding a way to establish authority as a follow-up so that people felt that trust and comfort to just say, can you do it, please? I don't want to. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I can't imagine having a full-time job and also planning a trip that was a significant investment. And I feel like I always reiterate that if you are investing that much money into a trip, not just money, but also your 
very limited vacation time, you are going to risk it on your own. Like you're going to spend $15,000 on Expedia. Is that what you're going to do? I would not do that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. having a travel advisor in your corner would be the best use of your time. Of course, we're preaching um, to the choir, but I know, I know. But just <laughs> FYI, because you know, he is for social media. <laughs> um, another key insight is that factors that impact travel decisions are changing. In 2022, 46.3% of respondents pointed to price as their primary consideration when planning a vacation, um, as compared with 37.9% in 2019. Along with the price of their stays, transportation costs, amenities, and loyalty programs are some of the factors that can influence travelers' selections. And I will say, I definitely see the loyalty program thing because I teeter between like Delta and United when I'm booking flights. And I'm just like, please, Delta, have flights because once I have this flight, I'm going to get to the next status at, at the next tier. So I definitely see that. Well, I think too, I've noticed a trend in this lately because I often, well, I have it in my welcome letter, but I'm trying to always communicate with clients. I'm using wholesalers who have contracted rates. They're not necessarily going to qualify for points accrual and I can't use your points to offset part of the cost, but using these wholesalers and contracted rates is typically typically going to be the best value, like use your points for air or whatever. But I think maybe because of the way things are priced right now, people are just desperately looking to find some way to offset some of the cost. So I'm mm-hmm. finding myself fielding more questions about that recently. Right, right. Another key insight, COVID-19 continues to influence travel. Duh. <laughs> A study found that 55% of people still take COVID-19 risks into account before booking their trips. Among U.S. leisure travelers, only 13.5% of the pandemic still has a major influence on travel, but 45% of Canadian travelers answered the same, demonstrating COVID-19's continued impact on international travel. And lastly, reviews have never been more important in travelers' decision-making process. A study found that 82% of travelers won't book their stay at a property without having first consulted consumer reviews. And the report reads that reviews and social proof are the make or break points for a vacation booking. Yep. Nearly 40% of travel consumers are referring to reviews in every step of vacation planning. And one thing I will say, I will also maybe consider doing this as a social media marketing thing, but caution people to make sure they're taking the most current reviews into consideration and not something from like... 2018, 2019, because so many things have changed. Yeah, I've never really pressured my clients to give me feedback. Usually the way I know my clients are happy is they just keep coming back over and over. But now I've included some wording in my welcome home that's like, you know, your feedback is more important than ever because everything has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, I pay for Travel 42, but most of those reviews were written pre-pandemic. So you know, I still go and look at consumer reviews as unreliable as they are. I always look at the bad ones to see exactly mm-hmm. what the problem was. Um, Cause a lot of times it's, I had to cancel at the last minute and you did not give me a full refund, even though it was a non-refundable, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I, I want like, if I'm seeing bed bugs or cleanliness issues or right. terrible location or, you know, those are the things I'm looking for. But it's really hard to evaluate that stuff now and you can't be Mm -hmm. looking at old reviews. My review strategy is I typically look at the three-star reviews more so than the five-star or the one-star ones because I think three-star reviews are, they take into consideration the pros and cons and I really, I feel like they're more level-headed. If you're putting a three-star review, you're going to give details as to what caused you not to put a five-star review. And I want to yep. read the more level-headed reviews, but that's just me. I don't know if it's the right method, I agree. but that's usually what I, what I look to. Yeah. That it for that one? Oh yeah. I'm done. Thankfully. Well, I'm going to follow you right <laughs> up with some cruise trends. Ooh, uh, this is an article from, <laughs> <laughs> this one is from Travel Age West. It's called near-term cruise trends to know now. So it says, current travel trends indicate cruise customers intend to book sooner rather than later, 
But as demand ramps back up, inventory is also quickly depleting. Tell me about it. So definitely don't wait too long to snag the cabins for your clients. So according to Cruise Competes August 22 Cruise Trends Report, the most popular sailing month requested right now is August for seagoing uh, premium and contemporary sailings, September for river cruises, and October for ocean luxury voyages. Booking windows are mostly tightening with luxury travelers spending two, or excuse me, reserving 264 days in advance and contemporary and premium cruises 171 days out. Trying to think of that tracks for me. I have been getting quite a few last minute, but I think that's just because the sudden lifting of vaccination requirements. Only river cruisers are spreading the time out further than that at 310 days in advance, which you kind of have to because... If you look at 2023 river cruises, a lot of them are already sold out. And then, of course, they're saying that may reflect some hesitancy because of the low water levels this year and people hearing about cruises being canceled. So people are pushing further out. But in my experience, river cruises really do need to be planned way out in most cases. Another survey by CruiseLine.com and Shipmate tells a similar story of cruisers seeking to sail within the next year. An overwhelming 91.4 of those surveyed said they plan to cruise within the next year with only 2.5 saying they would not and 6.1 indicating indecision either way. Despite many obstacles, the cruise industry has come a long way in the last year and the data provided by our community shows that the consumer demand for cruising is strong. That I know. I've, I've always said all along, I've been laughing at the people who are like, nobody wants to cruise because they don't want to cruise and they don't right. understand how like cruisers want to cruise, period. End of story. <laughs> so they go over a few things that are driving current cruise demand. So the newfound casual nature of cruising versus its formal past is appealing to many. So things like, um, you know, open dining, things like that. And then even the ultra luxe and expedition ships are pretty casual these days. Uh, Another one is as adventure travel picks up steam, expedition cruises to off the beaten path destinations are really becoming very desirable. And also classic itineraries to Alaska or the Caribbean are always going to be a favorite. They say that within the expedition cruise market, the poles are of particular interest with new ships heading to both Antarctica (laughs) Antarctica and the larger Arctic region of Greenland and Iceland, extending into Canada, Finland, Norway, Russia, Sweden, and the U.S. And it's not just expedition ships that are grabbing headlines. Across the board, new ocean ships are coming into service, and there's one to match every traveler personality. The greater push toward all-inclusive amenities and value adds are really drawing people in. So beverage packages, Wi-Fi, internet. Wi-Fi and internet are the same. Did you know that? Um, <laughs> service, included shore excursions, stuff like that. And of the new ocean ships coming online, there are those that continue to go bigger, but there's also an increasing number of smaller options with fewer fellow passengers. These vessels can navigate into coveted smaller ports the biggest ships cannot. And that's been my thing lately, right, is the smaller, more immersive, mm-hmm. you know, single country. And finally, Cruise Compete considers price competition as a cruise catalyst. In order to capture returning demand, lines are clamoring to attack, tr- attract travelers with deals. And yes, we've definitely been seeing that too. But it's funny because some things are just sold out immediately. And then some things you're seeing the price drop and drop and drop. It's really hard to predict right now. It's a little little willy-nilly, a little... Um, Do you think it's destination-based? Like maybe the Caribbean stuff is selling out really quickly, but then there are some... No. Well, uh, and what I've seen is, first of all, the suites are the first to go. So they're selling from the top down. Mm -hmm. Any sort of uh, school break, done. The more exotic itineraries, like I've got somebody, I got like one of the last three cabins and an October cruise that is... um, New England and Canada, and I was surprised that it was just completely sold out. Um, fall foliage. It's re- It's hard. It's hard to predict. Fall foliage. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say, as a as a rule, I'm telling my clients, don't wait. Mm-hmm. Get yourself a refundable deposit if you're not sure, but don't wait because mm-hmm. you just don't know. And we can you know, get price adjustments before final payment if they pop up. So there's no reason to wait 
if you've got your heart set on it. If you don't care if you go or not and you're just looking to snag something and you're flexible, that's fine. But if you really want to take this cruise, we need to book it. What you got next? More trends? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Another trend. <laughs> um, but this one is um, about niche travel tours and the trends in these niche travel tours. And this one is from Travel Market Report. So this particular article looks at different travel companies and what they're seeing within their companies. So it starts with saying there's a niche tour and itinerary for every traveler, bird walking or bird walking, bird watching. I like to walk birds when I get the chance. <laughs> Only flamingos. <laughs> Only flamingos. Yes. And a duck. <laughs> bird watching, hiking, heritage, culinary, wine. You guys get the get the general feel of this. So here's a sampling of some of the most popular tours that are currently trending. And the first company they're looking at is Intrepid Travel. Mm -hmm. And they've always been a niche brand, but within this brand, they, well, if you don't know about Intrepid, it's known as the world's largest small group adventure travel company. And over 65% of its travelers are solo females. I didn't know that about the solo females. Yeah, huh. I, I'm pretty new to Intrepid Travel, and I've quoted them a couple of times. They just haven't fit 100% with what my clients were looking for. But in looking at their offerings, it's so interesting. Like, the itineraries are, they are something where I'm like, I would 100% do something like this. It's like, it's adventure, but not anything too intense. So it still makes you feel moderate. cool. Yeah, moderate style hotels moderately active you know it's not mm -hmm. like luxe or extreme in any way but it's good fit for the kind of middle of the road budgets middle yeah. of the road yeah for sure and um one of the um one of their markets that they cater to it are the is the travel market for people who prioritize sustainability um, because mm -hmm. Intrepid is known for their sustainable initiatives. So Intrepid travel president, Matt Berna, he's quoted saying, we are seeing a lot of niche travel around climate action and responsible travel with citizen scientist programs. Intrepid is the only global tour operator with verified science-based carbon reduction targets. And they even have a climate scientist on, on staff, which I think is super cool. The fragile environment that props up the global tourism industry is facing an existential crisis and travel itself is perpetuating the problem. And so he says, to help address this, we have launched our first ever citizen science program in Antarctica. And the citizen science program is a voluntary research program that's collected. So the data they collect is done through public participation. Travelers share and contribute data they observe to a variety of projects. There are five programs ranging from the NASA Globe Observer, which observes cloud movements in concert with NASA satellite flyovers, to Seabird Survey, where travelers record wildlife viewings to help scientists better understand seabird migrations in the Southern Ocean. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, I know. I was like, oh, Teresa, do you like science? <laughs> I do have a science background, believe yes, it or not. Yes, I love it too. I'm with you. <laughs> but to, to be able to travel and help contribute to scientific research, I mean, can you mm -hmm. imagine not just grownups doing that, but having their kids go in and it's like a cool summer trip. It's like, hey, you learned about XYZ in school. Why don't this summer we go and do this one thing and you can actually put what you learned into practice? Yep. So. It. One of their most exciting onboard citizen science projects is the Happy Whale Project. Guests are encouraged to take photos of the whale sightings and upload them online, after which scientists can identify them by their unique markings and track them around the globe. Oh my God, so cool. They also have, in addition to the citizen scientist uh, program, they also have its Real Food Adventures Tours. Following a pandemic-induced hiatus, the reimagined tours now include 21 plant-based experiences with favorites like Mexico, India, and Vietnam, as well as newer itineraries in South Korea, the Balkans, Israel, and Palestine. While the new journey still features signature meals with traditional meat and fish dishes, the trips have been redesigned to show the importance of balance and moderation when it comes to making small but significant changes toward a more climate-friendly lifestyle. Just for an example, the South Korea Real Food Adventure has travelers uh, visit South Korea's slow food capital in Jeonju. They will 
learn about the seafood in Busan, experience one of the markets in Seoul where you can find produce. And it's the market that they feature on the Netflix series Street Food. It's on my list to watch, but I just haven't gotten to it. And then they will be able to immerse themselves in the plant-based experience during a tempo stay in Gonju, which includes a plant-based dinner with meditation and optional martial arts class. How Sounds immersive awesome. and cool is that? How, I, love I mean, <laughs> does both of these sound so, so cool? Some other companies they looked at was Old Ways. Um, Old Ways is a Boston-based nonprofit food and nutrition organization, and they host overseas and domestic culinary heritage trips. And there's always at least one chef traveling along. They have one where they bring a chef from one of Boston's restaurants and travel along with him to go shop at markets, learn about different ways of preparing meals. Um, They also have trips like heritage culinary trips to Turkey, Costa Rica, and Switzerland. Oceana is also on here. Sustainability is a trend that is common among all of these. Uh, One of the experiences that you can do while cruising with Oceana in one of their 150 Go Green tours worldwide One of the experiences includes visiting a sustainable vineyard in Almeria, Spain, learning aspects of hydroponic farming in the rainforest of St. Kitts, discovering the world of eco-conscious art in Buenos Aires, and imbibing zero-emission rum in the world's only carbon-free distillery in Dartmouth, United Kingdom. And of course, the Sloth Sanctuary in Costa Rica. Guys, this is amazing. If you're not on the sustainability trend yet, not only is it good for the environment in general, but I think it's good for it's good for the overall longevity of the travel industry. Yes. And it's what people want. Yes, and that's what people want. And like, don't you want people to feel good while they're traveling? This makes them feel amazing. And yeah. why not get that amazing feeling along with seeing new destinations and having new experiences at the same time. I mean, you can't lose. Um, Trafalgar's on here. I know they're really big with sustainability, not just environmental, but also social. They're very connected to the communities they visit. Absolutely loved the Trafalgar trips that I've been on in terms of how they had those local connections. Like I really felt that I got a taste of something local that not everyone would be able to have outside of that Trafalgar tour. Um, they've also launched 12 women only trips. That's something that's really popular for them right now. That's trending in their niche travel history lover trips. And they also have multi-gen tours, which has been a thing for them, but that's a continued trend that they've been seeing. Cheese journeys, like cheese that you no eat. more. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. And we obviously link all of these in our show notes. So if you want to read more about this, like go ahead and um, check out this link. This article sounds like a treasure trove of social it media is. content. It yes. is. Well, should we do some excess baggage? I'm ready. Okay. It's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory. So you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Pulse, Walt Disney World Resort announced 2023 voyage dates for Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, which go on sale September 1st for stays to the end of September 2023. The two-night vacation experiences aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser debuted earlier this year and transports visitors into their own Star Wars stories aboard the Halcyon Star Cruiser. Another headline from them reads, Aqua Expeditions launches first super yacht sailing in the Galapagos Islands. The seven-suite Aquamari can sail up to 16 guests on an incredibly intimate ultra-luxury expedition cruise on seven or 14-night itineraries around the celebrated South American archipelago that few ever get to experience. Travel Weekly reports that MSC cruises on September 1st will no longer require U.S. residents to be vaccinated against COVID-19 on cruises departing from U.S. ports to the Caribbean and the Bahamas. Another one from them says that Lindblad Expeditions is relaxing COVID-19 protocols on its ships. On September 1st, booster shots won't be required for most cruisers, but Lindblad recommends them. Booster shots will still be required on extended itineraries in Antarctica. Um... Lindblad will also drop the vaccination requirement for guests four years of age and under on September 1st. Travel Agent Central reports that Japan is set to enact a series of reduced COVID-19 measures that would make it easier to visit the country starting September 7th. 
According to Nikkei Asia, the Japanese prime minister said he will scrap the need for a negative COVID test prior to arrival for all travelers with at least three vaccine shots and will increase the cap on daily visitors to the country. Are you sensing a theme here? Another one from Travel Agent Central says that the government of Bermuda has updated its COVID-19 protocols after the CDC loosens loosened its health guidelines. The destination now welcomes unvaccinated travelers. According to Travel Market Report, Allianz Partners last week released its first ever advisor handbook for its travel advisor partners. The handbook, which was previously known as the company's marketing guide, includes a number of tools for travel advisors to help them navigate the world of Allianz's travel insurance offerings. That includes a glossary of terms, sales tips, marketing best practices, a list of covered reasons for trip cancellations, and more. They also report that starting in 2023, guests sailing on Uniworld Boutique River Cruises will no longer have to show proof of vaccination in order to sail. Our high note today is from Travel Age West. New data shows that travel costs are dropping. This decrease represents the first dip in travel prices since January and the largest overall decline since April 2020. And that's it for Excess Baggage. Just a reminder that all the articles we reference in today's episode and in every episode, we link them in the show notes. So if you guys ever want to revisit or you know see for yourself, please feel free to click on the links in our show notes. And before you go to your next article, I wanted to share what I told you prior when we prior to us recording about one of these discovery calls that I had today. Yeah. So as you know, I doubled my fee since Q1. And I was very nervous to do that at first, but I did. And people have been paying it, which has only increased my confidence. Like I knew I was worth it, but Mm -hmm. still there's always that doubt in your head, whether that's imposter syndrome or whether that's just overall fear of making that big of a change. I did it. And so far, so good. And then I had a discovery call this morning and it was with a woman who is an attorney and when I send out my questionnaire, I already tell people that I do charge, uh, I call it a design and coordination fee. It's also on my website. I don't hide the fact that I charge a fee. No surprises. So, no surprises. Like, you know, when you schedule a discovery call that I charge a fee. So in chatting with her, she says, so the $500 fee that you charge, that's just to start working with you. And then once we start putting the itinerary together, you increase that fee with how complicated the itinerary gets, right? And I'm just like, no, <laughs> but that would be really. <laughs> and so when I told her, I'm like, no, that's just the fee um, that I charge. And then anything else is going to be the cost of your trip. I don't charge any additional fee on top of that. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I'm just like, ah! you know, just more validation that it was a great idea to increase my fees. And at this time, if you guys are not feeling the push to charge fees, this is another thing of permission to just give it a try. Give it a try. Don't be scared. Consider it. Yes. Consider it. Well, on that note, my next article is from Travel Age West, and it is titled, Asta Endorses Travel Agent Fees as Part of New Credo of Beliefs. So for the first time in its history, Asta announced that it, it is adopting a credo of its core beliefs. The four statements include support for travel advisors charging client professional fees. So Zane Kirby said at the global convention that the society's board wanted to create a statement of beliefs that would complement ASTA's mission statement. He said, what separates ASTA members from the pack is a set of core beliefs, a credo. Who are we? What principles guide our profession and organization? So the credo states, one, ASTA member travel advisors are globally recognized for their skill, competence, expertise, and professionalism in an increasingly complex travel ecosystem. Two, ASTA member advisors regularly utilize educational resources and certifications to continuously increase their skill and knowledge. Three, all ASTA members abide by the ASTA Code of Ethics, which protects the integrity of the travel industry as a whole, giving consumers confidence that they're working with a true professional. And four, ASTA travel advisors often charge clients professional fees to reflect the value of the unique services they provide to their clients. We support this as a best practice. So 
Kirby made it clear that the adoption of professional fees would not be mandatory for ASTA members, but it's something that society endorses and sees as an sees as important to the success of the industry. He said a majority of members are already charging professional fees. And he said, um, we want to further normalize the idea that consumers should pay fees for the expertise of ASTA members and the services they render. And ASTA encouraged the members to share this new credo with clients and future clients. Um, he said, I ask that you give this credo some thought, print the statements out, put them in your window, contemplate how they apply and what we can do collectively to live up to these principles now and moving forward. This is how we unite as an industry, develop integrity and earn the trust of travelers and the world. I'm going to have to print that out mm -hmm. and read it <laughs> like every day. Post it in your window at your house? Post, yeah, post it in my window. <laughs> I'll put it in my window. <laughs> yeah, by the front door. It's like instead of the yes. no soliciting sign, it's like you're showing yes. up at my door. I'm soliciting you. That's so, right. Yep. Yeah. If you haven't done so, just explore it. Just like look into it. There are so many resources resources out there for how to get started doing that. And and there's a million different ways to do it depending yes. on your business. Yes. There are certain things that I do that I'm not going to charge a fee for. When someone comes to me and they're like, I want this cruise, you know, right. I'm not going right. to charge them a fee. But if I'm doing multi-component, FIT, anything like that, I, I had to come to the realization that just isn't worth doing without guaranteed compensation. It's hours right. and hours of work. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, there's so many different ways to tackle it. We know people who do annual retainers and we know who people mm -hmm. who do $50 good faith deposits, but there's a million ways depending on what works for your business that you could mm -hmm. adopt this and establish your professionalism even further. Even if it doesn't take you hours to do an FIT, still charge that fee because the reason why it doesn't take you hours anymore compared to when you first started is because you have spent the time and the money to invest in yourself to either Correct. go to conferences to meet these suppliers, go to those destinations yourself. You've invested yeah. that time and money. So you deserve to charge a fee for that. Even if the itinerary takes you 20 minutes to put together, they reached Imagine. out to you. They, <laughs> they reached out to you because they can't put that together in 20 minutes. It would take them eight plus hours if, if they were to do something similar. So you deserve to charge that fee. And if you can do it in 20 minutes, first of all, you're going to be a millionaire. But second, it took you years of building exactly. relationships and experience to get to that point. So, And yeah. those years cost money. It's That's like right. that story where um, I'm sure you guys have heard it where someone commissioned Picasso to paint something and it only took him 30 minutes to paint and he still charged like an exorbitant amount because he was such a famous artist and the guy's like but it only took you 30 minutes and Picasso's like well that 30 minutes took me years yeah to learn to do it in 30 minutes so even if it doesn't take you hours your expertise is worth something absolutely and people will pay for it I guarantee it. They will pay for your expertise. My last article is from Travel Weekly, and I am staying on the sustainability train from the previous article's trend. And this is, I, this is, I think, considered like an opinion piece or an insight piece from Travel Weekly. And it's specifically on Africa, Middle East insight. So things like safari travel and similar. The author writes, climate change could easily become the next pandemic if we don't pay more attention to our planet. And this was said by African Bush Camp's founder, Bex, I'm, I can't, I am going to butcher his last name. Um, so link in the show notes. Um, so he <laughs> said this during a recent webinar on green tech as the next frontier for ecotourism. And the event was hosted by Africa Travel Week. So industry players agree that both the trade and travelers have started feeling a sense of urgency when it comes to prioritizing the planet. We see a sense of urgency from the trade right, th right through to the customer, and there's a greater demand for transparency. Uh, this was said by Colin Bell, co-founder of Natural Selection Safaris. Bell said Natural Selection recently started to separate its community and conservation costs from its accommodations, activities, and drinks costs. 
Although the company expected pushback from the travel trade who don't earn commission on the conservation costs, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, He said, we thought we would get pushback because conservation is a net number. However, we only get debate on the cost of accommodation, but nobody is questioning the community and conservation costs. There has been complete buy-in as the trade also wants conservation to be around for a long time. Um, We're all on the same page. Transparency clearly is the next big frontier of ecotourism. Um, One company that's been advocating for years for a separation of the conservation and community levies from the price of the bed nights is Classic Portfolio. Um, Suzanne Bailey, who's the owner of Classic Portfolio, explained, we should not be hiding the high costs of on-the-ground responsibility behind high bed rates, which require Mm -hmm. layers of luxury. Building rates and financial models by separating conservation fees from accommodation costs is far more sustainable. We need to build this into the reservation system as a separate item and account for this income in a transparent manner. I agree. So according to Bailey, the solution is simple. If tour operators want to act in a more sustainable way, they can do five simple things. One, don't mark up conservation levies, um, park fees, etc. on invoices to clients. Two, introduce itemized invoices, which show the amount that is being paid for conservation and community levies and park fees. And I think even though we see itemized invoice, I feel that our clients seeing the separation and this transparency, like I would not mind paying this knowing that it goes towards conservation in the community. And I know that my clients would not mind that either. Three, choose to work with lodges, camps, and hotels who are making a positive impact. Four, plan trips to locations in the off-season because conservation is a year-round responsibility. And five, plan trips to more remote locations where each tourism dollar has a far greater impact than it does in the areas of high-density tourism. One of the burning questions in the sustainable tourism space remains whether the capital produced from tourism is enough to be able to reverse the human effect on our planet. It's a global challenge and needs global support, according to Robert Moore, founder and CEO at Moore Family Collection. Um, He says that the growth of ecotourism is uh, essential to the preservation of untouched land in Africa. We all know that when we do travel to Africa in terms of doing game drives and things like that, part of the money does go into conservation. And that's why sometimes the costs are so high and people still pay it because they understand that if you want to continue enjoying seeing these animals in the wild, like this is an expense you're going to have to have. Yep. It says here, unfortunately, the flight shaming narrative has done more damage than good for conservation and sustainability in Africa. According to Bell, Africa needs tourists to be able to continue to maintain vast open lands and pay for conservation. The open African savannas are currently one of the biggest carbon absorbers in the world. In Africa, we are cleaning up a lot of the world's pollution in our soils. We need to keep the African savanna in pristine condition. And the only way to do this is by generating revenue through tourism. So the easiest way to fight climate change is to come on safari to Africa. So this is one of those things where it's like, sure, the emissions from your flight going from the U.S. gateway to wherever you're headed in Africa. Yes, there there are going to be emissions, but what is... What is that going to be offsetting right. once you're there? So I get I can see both sides to that to that discussion. It ends with saying over the past decade we've come a long way. Um, there used to be only a few stellar performers, a couple of quote unquote pirates, and then the majority of industry players that were hovering somewhere in the middle. There's been a lot of work done behind the scenes to transform the industry, and the tide is starting to turn. So all right, well, Promising. Yes. (laughs) All right. So my last one is kind of a hot topic right now. It is from Travel Weekly. It says at DOT, ASTA lays out opposition to air ticket refund plans. So we're all a little bit rattled by this whole idea that perhaps we could end up on the hook for air refunds. It's just so insane to me that that would even be possible. Um, But it it is indeed a possibility based on the way the wording of the rule is now. So there's two different points of view in here. Eben Beck and Zane Kirby were saying that 
they thought this was going to be a bigger problem. It, it's much smaller than originally anticipated. They are under the impression that the only way we would be on the hook is if we're the merchant of record. So for instance, if I'm booking a package through one of the VAX people, they're the merchant of record. So really they would be the one on the hook, right? Which is still not okay. But Mark Pastronk, who writes the legal briefs column for Travel Weekly and has been recently addressing this, said he disagrees with that interpretation because he said he can understand why ASTA's representatives are getting that impression, but that isn't what the rule says, literally. He said that it was not proposed in the rule text, but that revised regulation language would clarify and narrow the definition. If adopted, the requirements would only apply to a ticket agent if their identities are shown on the consumer's financial charge statements, such as debit or credit charge statements. Conversely, if according to the financial statements provided to consumers, an airline is identified as a recipient of the consumer funds in a transaction facilitated by a ticket agent, the airline would be under the obligation to provide the requested refunds. But he said the language to hold agents accountable for refunds only if they were the merchant of record was mentioned several times during the meeting, but that's not technically what it says. So there's some stuff to sort out, basically. But Zane Kirby was saying the prospect of being on the hook for refunds, regardless of whether the agency has access to the funds in question, could disrupt the airline distribution systems and unknowable and unpleasant ways. It could drive some agencies to stop selling air tickets, robbing consumers of their advice and opportunities for comparison shopping. So basically, they're on it. The public comment period on the rulemaking is open until November 21st. ASTA will be filing comments. He says, but for now, we urge the department in the strongest possible terms to eliminate from the proposal any obligation of a ticket agent to issue a consumer refund where the agency does not control the funds in question. To me, that just sounds like the only reasonable outcome, but you just never know. <laughs> so keep your eye on that. It's a little bit confusing right now, but of course, Asta is all over it, just like we would expect them to be and just like they always are. I would love millions of dollars of bailout money. If I receive millions <laughs> of dollars of bailout money, I will refund everybody and their moms. Like I will sure. refund everybody. Yeah. But you know what? It's the airlines who got the bailout money. <laughs> Mm hmm. I just can't imagine a reality in which the airport airlines have been. No, we're not giving you a refund. And then I have to go into my bank account and give the refund because yeah, of a delayed or canceled flight. That is like how in what world does that make any sense at all? I just I, I can't. Well, I trust that it is all going to get worked out. I trust ASA will fight for us. I trust logic and reason. And I'm just going to keep moving forward with a positive attitude about it. I would be shocked if that remained in there, but nothing. TBD. TBD. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. If, hopefully not. So what destination has been on your mind? So in putting together this absolutely incredible Maldives itinerary and quote, it got me really looking into the Maldives and how absolutely gorgeous it is and learning a bit more about the country in general. And I admit that I don't, I'm not, I, I didn't used to be the biggest expert. I'm not an expert now, but I know more now than I did before. But there are some, I don't know if you know much about the Maldives, but like, it's not just one big island, like Hawaii right. with like other islands. There are um, what they call atolls where they're super small. And one of these atolls could just have one resort on them and that's it. Like there's no other infrastructure. So that to me was super cool. And the fact that your transfers are done from island to island by either seaplane or speedboat, like so glam. How how absolutely glamorous is that to have yeah. that on your honeymoon? And the 5.8 underwater restaurant Part of me is like, it's so cool. The other part of me is thinking that I don't know if my claustrophobia would allow me to have a meal there. But I would not enjoy myself. <laughs> I enjoy thinking about the idea of it. But if I was under the water, I would be like, we're definitely going to die. 
<laughs> but that is the destination on my mind right now. I wish I was going there sometime in the future, but so far it's just an itinerary and quote that my, that my amazing clients will get to go on in February. What about you? What's the destination on your mind? So I have been thinking a lot about Peru, Machu Picchu, of course. Of course, it's always on the list, right? It's like one of those things that I think is on most people's lists, but it wasn't super high, super high priority. Like I'll make it happen. Definitely want to do it, but I'm, you know, it's not like the next thing I'm going to do. But it turns out one of the friends that I have made here, she is going to be 70 next year and she wants to do Machu Picchu. She's a badass, to be honest with you. So, uh, so that started making me look further into it. And then it just so happens one of the couples that I watch on YouTube went and they did a comparison. They do these 100 versus $1,000 and kind of show you the difference and mm -hmm. what you can get for the money. But they just kept talking about how wonderful the people are in Peru. And that's what always attracts me is the people. I want to be around wonderful people. That's why I live in Mexico. You know, I love Costa Rica. And they just kept saying, like, the people here are so amazing. And so now it has moved up several notches and maybe it's going to happen next year. So I'm sort of dipping my toe into the intense research of it. I have booked it before. I don't enjoy booking South America. It always seems like logistics are tricky. Mm -hmm. And even though I prepare my clients for that, they're still mad. So maybe <laughs> if I go and experience it for myself, then I'll be able to describe the process more clearly and get ahead of things. But um, yep, definitely much higher on my list now. I feel like I am obsessed with the big corn kernels like the maize, have you ever had the big oh, corn no. kernels? Like in like Peruvian ceviche, they always have Come like, on. yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad you know the song. How does oh, Tracy, I'm a corn dog. <laughs> how, has, how does Tracy feel about the corn song? Is she into it? Well, is she like, what's going on? Absolutely obsessed because she is obsessed with corn. So okay. pretty much you'll just hear one of us yell out at any given point in the day. <laughs> See, I, I do that as well, but in my relationship, it's not uh, the, the same passion does not exist. Yeah. Uh, so I will randomly be like, it's cold. And she's like, what? It's cold? Like you're cold? Do you want me to turn the fan <laughs> off? I'm like, no. And he's like, then what do you say? And I pause and I look at him. He's like, oh my God, you need to stop singing the song. <laughs> I'm like, there are workplaces that are banning it. <laughs> Guys, it is a phase. It's a trend. It'll go away. Just let people have their fun. It's going to be gone in like a week. Okay. Like just give it else time. Replace it. Yeah. Love it. So what is something you are loving? I know I am very behind on this, but part of me wanted to wait to see how the show ended to see if it would, if it would be worth the journey through all the episodes and the show is Better Call Saul. So it is like an offshoot show. If you guys don't know of Breaking Bad, it follows the lawyer who was in Breaking Bad and I absolutely love the Breaking Bad show. So I'm like, there's no way an offshoot show is going to be good. Like there's no way. So I never watched it, but they just came out with the series finale and everybody said it was so good. And so June and I, we started the journey on Better Call Saul, and I feel like we're on season three right now. And it's so far been such a fun ride. So we just finished it. We were late to the game, too. We started watching it less than a year ago, mm -hmm. working our way through all the episodes. I'm never satisfied with a series ending. So, so you weren't satisfied I, with this one? No. I never am. I'm like, they don't know how to end things. I just finished a different series too, but now I can't remember what it was. But I did like the show a lot. Uh, it was very well done. His character mm -hmm. is like, you... Saul Goodman. Saul yeah, Goodman. Like, <laughs> you, you see that there's a good person in there, but then he just does these terrible things. He, he makes you confused about how you feel I'm about him. And I do like complicated characters. To, we're, we're trying to figure him out. Just trying to figure out, and I, I am too afraid to go online to look because I don't want any spoilers or anything like that, but I'm trying to psychoanalyze him. Not that I'm an expert in psychology or anything, but I'm trying to figure out what is his motivation. So 
That's the thing. He's complicated. Sometimes like he does the right thing, even when there are terrible consequences. And then sometimes he's just a slime ball. Yeah. So yeah, but it was worth watching. I'm never satisfied with the ending, but in this case, I wasn't angry. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, I'm angry. Okay. That's good to know. (laughs) And what's something you are loving? (sighs) Avoiding Facebook. So I can't get off Facebook. That's where a lot of my clients are. People send me inquiries there. Our team has a private Facebook page and it works great where everyone can ask questions and everyone gets to see the questions and the answers. I can't just delete Facebook is the bottom line. But what I did is move it on my phone and I don't scroll it at all. It was making me hate people. (laughs) Like it was just bringing about a lot of angry Mm -hmm. feelings for me um, because just the way that people express themselves and just feel entitled to have opinions on every single thing. And just, it was just making me a little bit crazy. And I was like, okay, we're just not going to do that. So not only have I been happier and more content, I still get a notification. Like if someone tags me or, and I can post there automatically from Instagram, if I want to, you know, like I said, I can't just get rid of it. But not scrolling it and seeing everyone's opinion on every single thing has been very helpful. And it's helped me be more productive (laughs) because, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, if I'm doing something else, I'm feeling really good about what I'm accomplishing in those little 15 minute chunks. Um, And then, you know, I I still keep my TikTok to a minimum, but that's the one I really liked. Somebody I was, wrote a I was that say. I fully agree with that says Facebook makes you hate people you've known for years and TikTok makes you love people you've never even met. And I'm not that I hate anyone that I've known. I just, you know, yeah, it just brings well, I was gonna say, negative you feelings. Your Facebook scrolling with TikTok because I feel like that would be my danger is replacing Facebook time. No, TikTok I still time. keep my TikTok. My TikTok is only something that happens usually before bed or if I'm mm-hmm. laying down for a nap. I don't ever just stop and start scrolling TikTok during the day, partly because you need the sound. So I just can't be turning on TikTok, you know, so that's helpful for me. But yep. So it has really been a game changer for me and I'm loving it. And I hope I I keep with not scrolling Facebook. (laughs) There are better things to do than get angry at, you know, my crazy uncle or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, thanks for sticking with us until the end. We hope this episode has been informative. All the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to go and delete those travel news emails I've been hoarding for the past month. Yep. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review and or share the show. Also head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at Thanks again for joining us in the Tin Lounge. We'll see you next week. Bye. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.